If you turn in your Bibles at this time to page 907, page 907, uh, we're going to look to start with at uh, Psalm 71 and uh, find that page, Psalm 71, page 907 in your pew Bibles. Put your fingers there. Uh, we're going to do things just a little bit differently this morning, so I'm going to start and then we'll... We'll look at uh, Scripture as we go through the message this morning. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at this topic of the three-thirds in the church, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Friends in Christ, um, in Jesus Christ, God has created a church made up of multiple generations. And in my lifetime alone, there have been all sorts of attempts to to sort of break that church up, to segregate it by generation. You probably remember there were those days in the church, and some, some congregations are still this way, where the idea was that the youth group ought to be separate from the regular worshiping congregation. They should kind of go do their own thing on a Sunday morning and let the older people do their thing and, and never shall the two meet. Uh, worship styles also threatened to break up the, the community of, of Christ. You get to church and it was sort of, well, you know, the old people who like the old hymns and things like that, you go through door number one, and you younger people who like contemporary music, you go through door number two. Do your own thing. We'll, we'll, we'll worship together that way. And that's, that's always tempting, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's no denying that each of our generations is unique, that We've all been formed by, by different circumstances and events in our lives and in history, historical events. Uh, but we're very unique in that way. For example, I, I spent some time um, just with one of my sons yesterday morning, and I was, astounding, I was astounded at the generational themes that came out of just a short, brief discussion with him or time with him. For instance, we had, to, uh, we had to bring some scrap to the dump, and we're driving along in my truck, and we're talking about the NFL draft, and he's telling me, I asked him his thoughts, and he's telling me his thoughts, and, and then he said to me, what's the radio saying about this stuff? And it was very clear, you old people still listen to the radio, um, what are they talking about? And he's right, I do listen to the radio, and I'm an old guy. Um, then we get to the dump, and he says to me something like this, um, I feel like an old man doing yard work and chores on a Saturday morning. So there you go. If you're looking for a definition of old, apparently you're someone who you know, owns a house and has a yard and does yard work and chores on Saturday morning. Now a little later, I was chiding him um, for losing the name of a plumber that I had given him some time before. And I said, you know, you're going to have plumbing problems in the future. Why don't you save names like that? I said, maybe what you should do is, okay, I'm teaching him, right? Maybe what you should do is write down the name and number and then put it on a sticker or something and hang it on the water heater in the basement or the furnace someplace that you can remember it when something else goes wrong. And he looks at me and he says, write it down? 
He says, maybe I'll just make a Google Doc. <clears throat> you know, third thirders, people like me, we, we still use pen and paper. That's what we learn. People younger than us use Google Docs. Technology is another thing that has shaped us, right? Um, for example, when I'm backing out of my driveway, I still know how to use the mirrors on my car. So I'm looking at all the mirrors and making sure I'm going back real straight. When I watch my children and their wives backing out of our driveway, they're all looking at the dash and the rearview camera, right? And then there are some who shall remain nameless who just drive all over the grass. <laughs> but the point is that, that these life experiences have shaped us to view life differently and to view ourselves sometimes differently. And, and that can make it hard for us all to get along with each other. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the TikTok on, on how different generations view Friday afternoons at work. Okay? Um, there's a baby boomer who's sitting at her desk. It's 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon. And she's thinking, um, she's going through her list and thinking, okay, how many more things can I tick off my list before the weekend comes? And, and then the next picture shows a millennial, and she's looking at her watch and wondering, what am I still doing at work at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon? And then there's the Gen Zer, and you get a shot of her, and, and it's just a shot of an empty desk, and there's a sign on her desk that says, out for the day. And, and again, that's the threat, friends, that, that we're all so different, and we view life differently that even in the church, we might just throw our hands up and say, you know, we're too different to get along. Um, let's just go our own way and do our own thing. But, but through all of that, the words of, of the Apostle Paul um, from 1 Corinthians 12 are always sounding in the background. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. You're not your own body. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you are a part of it. A part of something bigger than yourself. A part of something that you're called to contribute to. A part of something you're called to bless the rest of the body with your uniquenesses. Corinth was a church that was always threatened by division, wasn't it? Um, you remember what they say, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And God said, no. No, you are one body and each one of you is a part of it. I have put you together for your good and for the good of the world. Um, like I said, a few years ago we did a brief series on the church and and what it means to be a community of grace and in truth. And in that series, we broke the different generations into three-thirds of life, not because that's a negative thing, but to see how that can be a strength for the church. And that's what I'm hoping we can do again in this series. If you're just wondering, perhaps, what generation that you are a part of, um, this is how social uh, scientists tend to divide us up these days. Uh, we can put this up. Uh, the silence, so 1925 to 45 boomers, 46 to 64 Gen Xers, millennials, 
Gen Z, and we don't know what this last generation is going to be called, but you can kind of put yourself in one of those generations. And then if you look at the next slide, when we, when we put ourselves <clears throat> in those three-thirds, um, basically what we're looking at is if you are in that third third of life, it's anyone age 59 and over. You're sort of considering that third third. The second thirders would be somewhere ages 29 to 58. Um, the first third of life would be those first 28 years of, of life. Now, those are generalities, right? Um, you may not fit in one, um, but there are certain characteristics that tend to go with these generations. We're going to start this series today by looking at the third third of life, so the oldest ones among us. So apparently if you're one of those people who do, does chores on Saturday morning, um, maybe if you're a person who ever lived in a house without air conditioning, uh, this might, might be you. Um, we are the ones that the Bible refers to often as elders, elders. And I want to look at what the Bible has to say to this third third this morning and the role that we play within the body of Christ. And in order to do that, I've chosen words from three separate psalms. And uh, we're going to focus on those for a little bit this morning. The first comes from Psalm 71. So if you still have that open, if you um, look about at verse 18, it says this, Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Till I declare your power to the next generation. Now, what I'd like us to see here is, is the obligation, the obligation that the psalmist feels toward the generations that follow after him. What he recognizes is that God has put his church together. He has constructed his church in such a way that we are connected, that we indeed impact each other, both for good and for ill. Whether we accept that or not, it's something we do. We impact each other, whether for good or for ill. And that's something, friends, that the Bible is very clear about, especially in the Old Testament. You may remember the words of Exodus 20, right? where God says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In other words, our faults, our foibles, our shortcomings are things that are passed down to future generations. What does that mean exactly? Well, what it means is that a father who never shows affection to any of his children um, then becomes, or when those children then become parents later in life, chances are that they too will perpetuate that and not show any affection to their children. And that can go on from generation to generation. Our faults, our shortcomings are passed on. A mother who does not study God's Word or hold it as precious, but rather spends all her time thinking about worldly concerns, she passes that on to her children and perhaps to theirs, right? Just this apathy towards Scripture. It's not something that's really necessary or needed. That love for Jesus Christ, that passion for our Lord, if we as parents don't exemplify that, don't show it, our children pick up on that. And they've 
they view that that's not a part, not an important part of the Christian life. So there's no denying, friends, that our sins do get passed down from generation to generation. But at the same time, when we read a passage like that in Exodus, what we also have to understand is there is a contrast in the Old Testament. Remember, God passes down the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but we're also told in other passages that God shows his love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, the ways that we obey God, the ways that we show our passion and our love for him, we can also bless the generations that follow us. In fact, God will use those things not just to the third and fourth generation, but to a thousand generations, he says. And that's what the psalmist is praying in this psalm. Lord, let me bless those who follow after me. Let me bless those who come behind me. Don't let me die until I have blessed those who you have put in my life who come after me. Now, how can he do that? What's one way? If you look at verse 20 there, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. What's he talking about? He's talking about resurrection, salvation from death, healing from sickness and despair. Friends, when we look at some of, the, some of the things that are unique about the generations, as we look at the different generations that I had on the board here, um, one of the things that we're seeing today about Gen Z, or, or let's think of that third, third of life, is that many in this generation are saying that they don't want to have children. They don't want to have children. And this is not just a North American trend. This is a trend throughout the world. Populations are declining in many nations around the world. In fact, if you look in Japan, things are so bad there, they can't find enough people to do all the work that needs to be done. This is a trend. Now, if you ask, why? Why don't people want to have children anymore? The answer seems to be, at least one of the answers, is people are losing hope. They're losing optimism. They look at the world these days and what they see is a world that's caught up in war. They see mass migrations of people who can't live in their own countries any longer. They see mass shootings like we see constantly. They see gun violence. They see climate change. And and the people in power don't seem to be able to do anything or want to do anything about it. And so there there is little hope. There's a loss of optimism. And friends, If there's anything that you need as you're thinking about having children and starting a family, it's hope and optimism. Now, this, friends, is one area where our third thirders can help. Not just the church, but the world. This is one area where our third thirders can speak into. And what we can do is we can tell the stories of our own fears and our own skepticisms that we have faced in life, but the things that God has brought us through. 
Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. Friends, what has this generation seen, the third, third? We've seen world wars. We've seen the Cold War, where we thought the whole world could burn up at any moment. We've seen the threat of communism. It seemed like it was going to take over the world. We saw Vietnam, where so many of our young people went to die over an issue that they couldn't articulate. We saw depressions and recessions economically and high unemployment. How did we get through all of that? How did we go on from day to day? What gave us hope? What gave us optimism? You know the answer? Our world belongs to God. What does the Heidelberg Catechism say? This generation in particular learned it, right? That I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Nothing can happen without the will of my Father in heaven. We have a sovereign God, a mighty God, a powerful God, and this world belongs to Him. We have testified to that with our example, but we can't stop. The future generations need to hear that there is hope. Why? Because our God is still in control. Friends, when we talk about life and what gets us through life, what got us to this point in life, we don't talk about our fortitude or our brilliance or our savvy business practices or our political or our economic ideologies that mean so much to us all the time. What we talk about is the fact that our God is faithful and our God is powerful. And just like he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will hold all of us in his hands. It's his world. Our world belongs to him. When I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. The second psalm I want to look at with you is Psalm 90. Psalm 90, if you flip over there and just look at verse 10, this is a psalm that we often look at on days like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. What it says there is, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away and we fly away. And then verse 12, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. The wisdom that the psalmist is praying for here is the wisdom that comes with accepting our mortality. Friends, our days are numbered. We don't like to hear that, but they are. Death, as the psalm describes, death is God's punishment for sin. And all human beings have sinned. All of us are human beings. And what that means is that we too will die. No exceptions. No exceptions. Now, our culture fights against this idea, tries to deny it. I mean, why do you think we have so many hospitals and so many surgery centers on just about every corner in this world? It's because we deny death. We have this idea that somehow technology is going to overcome. 
And technology has made wonderful strides. I think we have to admit that, and we have to thank those who are involved in that sort of thing. We talked today about what? Uh, 50 is the new 40. And there's some truth to that. There have been studies that have shown, you know, cellular structures in, in, in human beings today show that we're, we're aging slower than we used to. If you haul out the family albums, right, and you mark your age, and then you look at some pictures of your parents at that age and your grandparents, I guarantee you they're going to look a lot older than you do. It'll make you feel really good. We've made progress, but progress, friends, is not victory. There is only one victory over death, and that is resurrection with and through Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the only victory. But it's something we don't always seem to get. And it's like the issue of grace, right? Unless you understand sin, you're never going to understand grace. And unless you understand death, you're never going to understand resurrection. Think about how the world tells us these days that, that, that we're not going to die. The new John Wick film came out a few weeks ago. John Wick, I think it's chapter 4. In the span of that film, I don't know how long it is, two hours, three hours, he kills 140 people. 140 people. In other words, we see so much death these days, we just sort of become numb to it, right? And, and in the end, we sort of picture ourselves as John Wick. It's never going to happen to me. I didn't see the film, but I assume there were a few bullets pointed at him too. No problem. And that's who we relate to. It's sort of like the joke I told a few weeks ago, right? The couple is talking together. Someday one of us is going to die. Um, when that happens, I think I'd like to move to New York. You know, it's, it's always the other person. It's, it's never going to be me. And that's, that's a cultural thing, friends. That's what our culture is preaching to us. And when we cannot accept the reality of our death, <clears throat> what happens as we age? What happens as our muscles atrophy and our skin wrinkles and our bones ache and our minds forget? Well, sometimes we become angry and bitter. We get mad. We get mad at God because we don't think we deserve this. We get mad at God for doing this to us. After all, we, we tried to follow his ways our whole life. We tried to do everything he said, and, and now this is, this is what we get? We get pain and we get sickness and we get all of that stuff? Lord, that's not fair. That's not right. We deserve better. That's not true. We don't deserve better. We deserve death. Resurrection is a gift. Resurrection is a gift of faith in Jesus Christ. Resurrection is a gift. It doesn't prevent death. It doesn't delay death. It overcomes death. It overcomes it. And friends, wisdom is understanding that, that our days are numbered, life is fragile, life is finite. And when it comes to, our wisdom needs to understand, friends, that, that lasting beauty 
is not the kind of beauty that we see on television and we see on TikTok. Lasting beauty is the kind of beauty we see in heaven. That's the beauty that that we are meant to, to resound with, to show forth, to shine with. It's that beauty. It's the beauty of, of humble service to one another, right? What can I do for you? How can I help you? There is a, there is a beauty that, that, that comes with just resting in God and trusting in Him for our salvation and knowing that my life is safe in His hands, having that assurance that, that I will forever be with God because of the work of Jesus Christ and that beauty is something that shines in the church and shines in the world. It's a beauty and a self-assurance that allows us not to get angry, but even to laugh at ourselves, right? As we get older and we lose our filters and we say the wrong things, instead of getting all upset about it, we can kind of chuckle about it and say, yeah, that's happening. I get it. One of the saddest things um, in my life was watching my mom when she came down with Alzheimer's. And it was early onset. She was in her 60s, probably even started before that. But I remember her struggles. Um, she was always worried. She's always worried that she might say the wrong thing or she might repeat herself. And so she stopped going to things. She didn't want to go to church because what would people think? She didn't want to go to her Bible study or I guess in her day it was her small group because somebody might laugh or think less of her. How sad is that? That we can't be with the people that we love. And, and friends, there needs to be this, this assurance in us that we are so safe and secure in God's love that even if I make a mistake, it's okay. Even if I repeat myself, that's not the end of the world. That's just being human. And just as I trust that God still loves me, I have to trust that so do, so do his people. Friends, we need to show that, hey, we don't get mad. We're able to laugh in the assurance that God loves us. The final um, psalm I want to mention is Psalm 92. This won't take too long. Psalm 92, so just flip over the page. Look at verse 12 there. It says, the righteous, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. And this is in contrast to the wicked that he speaks of earlier. The wicked are like grass, he says. You know, the grass that flourishes for a moment and then it dies off in that Middle Eastern sun. But he says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like like a cedar of Lebanon, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. Friends, if you're not in this third third of life, if you're in one of the other two thirds, there's, there's something you have to understand about this, this particular third of life. And that is, there comes a time when a person reaches a certain age, <clears throat> 
Sometimes we call it retirement age. Sometimes it comes before that. Sometimes it comes after that. But there comes a time when we reach a certain age in life where all of a sudden we're perceived as expendable and non-essential. There's all sorts of words. Replaceable, superfluous, non-vital. What you have to remember is these are people who have always been contributors. They've always been in the center of things. They've always been in the mix, right? They've They've been the breadwinners. They've been carrying others. They've been looked up to. They've been, you know, they've been carrying relational and economical and familial clout with them everywhere they've gone. And suddenly, suddenly they're looked at as sort of an extra appendage to the body that's really not necessary. That's a hard thing to go through. What's even worse, though, is when you come to believe that about yourself. Because what happens then is you sell your soul to lesser things. To things of this earth instead of the things of heaven. Um, Joseph Lindsley is a a reporter. He's been in Ukraine since uh, before the war started there. And he gives a radio report every, uh, <clears throat> every morning. I listen to it usually. Um, he's quite philosophical in, in what he talks about when he reports on that situation. He was saying something this week. He said um, there was a Harvard professor who came to lecture in Ukraine for a week. And he got to know her. Maybe he knew her beforehand. I don't know. But they were talking after the week was through. And um, they were having coffee together. And she said to him, Um, I don't want to go home. And he said, why? Why would you want to stay here? I mean, your your life is in danger. We're in the middle of a war. Um, You can go back home. You can be safe. You can be free. Why would you want to stay here? And her answer had to do with conversations. She said, the conversations I have here have been so real. We don't talk about anything trite, There's nothing transactional. We listen to each other. We hang on each other's words. We care about each other. She said, I can't bear the thought of going back, going back home and talking about nothing. Friends, a lot of retirees think of retirement in those terms, kind of going back to America. It's like leaving that situation where, where every word and every conversation is vital and going back, stepping into a scene from The Bachelor. And the psalmist here in Psalm 92 is saying that's, that's not the way that God intended it to be. It's not the way. God always wants us to be in the mix. Always. Green and producing fruit. How? How do we do that? Well, you don't give yourself over to lesser things. You don't. You fight that temptation, friends. And what do you do? You seek first His kingdom and His righteousness 
It's no different from the day of your baptism to the very end. You seek His kingdom and His righteousness. You serve your God and you will bear fruit. You will always be green. You will always be a tree. It's what God redeemed us to be. Don't give yourself over to lesser things. The church needs you. The church needs your example. The church needs your contribution. Don't give yourself over to lesser things. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And we thank you for bringing us together to be a part of your church each generation. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we may live as you call us to live, with our minds set on the things above and not on earthly things. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.